Welcome to Shits and Giggles with HR. We are with the lovely Janet Hadley. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And we've entitled this podcast or video, if you watch it by video, this was Janet's idea, the elephant in the well-being room. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, I'm intrigued <laughs> and I'm going to ask you more about that. But firstly, before we move on, why should we talk to you about drinking culture? Because that's what I know our topic's about. So the reason why you should talk to me about drinking culture is because I am on a mission to create a drink safe workspace without killing the buzz. And that is what okay. we do here at Choose Sunrise. And I guess what brought me here is my own personal experience. Um, I've worked in large corporations since I am all my jobs apart from my paper round have been in large corporations basically so right. um and I've always been a big drinker and those two things go very nicely together actually um as it turns out so I was a big drinker at, at school actually you know from the age of 14 big drinker through sixth form big drinker through university and I thought do you know what I'm gonna have to calm this down a bit when I get my first proper job um I was wrong I had to dial it up a bit because when I joined the trading floor of um, a large supermarket whose head office is based in Leeds, um, I <laughs> was quite shocked, actually. Um, it was such a boozy culture. So um, it suited me down to the ground at the time. Um, yeah. We would be out from 4 p.m. till 4 a.m. on a Friday. Oh, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's proper heavy, isn't it? And, you know. I never saw anything wrong with it and um, it was almost a culture where you had to be part of that in crowd in order to be considered for promotion um, right. okay. and I do remember there being a couple of pregnant well, not pregnant women well there were pregnant women or people who were on um, you know who were recently back from maternity leave who I, I, I feel so guilty now in this but they weren't part of the in crowd they weren't ever out in the pub with us and they were passed up for promotion. You know, they weren't, there was a real culture of, well, they're only part time and they're not really serious about their careers. And it's, it's a horrible, toxic culture actually for someone to work in who has a young child. And I actually do feel incredibly guilty now looking back on it and thinking about how I was part of that. Um, and actually I mean, fast forward to a couple of years ago when I decided to stop drinking, which of which I've obviously missed out a huge amount of story. Um, I really only saw for the first time how much the drinking culture in the workplace had um, influenced me. Um, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that it's because I would never say it was my employer's fault that I developed um, a, a, a problem with my drinking, um, but it certainly didn't. <laughs> it certainly didn't hurt when it, you know, if you wanted to create a culture where someone would develop a drinking problem, that would be it. <laughs> All right, okay, okay. So there's a there's a hell of a story there from heavy drinking. Now you haven't had a drink for two years, two and a half, yeah, yeah. two and a half years. Okay, yeah. but you were by no means an alcoholic. You were just part of the drinking culture. Well, this is a very interesting question because there is no formal definition of an alcoholic. Um, okay. so I don't really use the term alcoholic. Um, people 
tend to think that there are normal drinkers and there are alcoholics and there's not a lot in the middle. And the truth of the matter is that most drinkers are somewhere in that grey area in between those two ends of the spectrum. Um, and actually, sometimes what happens is, like in my case, I had some really devastating news. Um, so people do face, you know, death and bereavement and trauma and serious illness and, and things like that as they get into you know the 40s generally yeah. and it, it can really for someone who's always turned to alcohol at the end of every stressful day or at the every friday night or you know for every celebration and commiseration ever for the whole life when you get some news like that you end up drinking um and my relationship with alcohol really changed um became much darker and it started to be a kind of drinking to forget relationship with alcohol rather than a drinking to have fun relationship with alcohol and i think that's well it is very common um there's all kinds of reasons why people find themselves in trouble with alcohol um and it doesn't have to be a reason let's face it it's an addictive substance that we are subjected right. to marketing um yep. to on a daily basis uh active marketing passive marketing it's just everywhere and it's no wonder really that some people find that they're having trouble controlling it so i don't i i'm not sure about the word alcoholic i'd almost argue that anyone who drinks regularly probably is something of an alcoholic because okay. they keep drinking Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm intrigued yeah. by something particularly you said so far. So you said drink safe workspace. Yeah. I've heard that before. Yeah. So that's the phrase that I've coined to, to describe what we do here at Choose Sunrise. Right. Um, and I, I'm not in the business of telling people to stop drinking and to uh, have teetotal workplaces. I am in the business of making the workplace a place where people can find support if they need yep. it. Yep. Um, I'm in the business of making the workplace more inclusive for people who choose not to drink. Um, I'm in the business of making the workplace somewhere that is psychologically safe for people to speak the truth about how they feel about their drinking and their relationship with alcohol. Um, I run peer support groups called the sober curious society in um the workplace sober curious yeah yeah yep. and that is a safe space where people can explore their relationship with alcohol with no judgment in the workplace with other people who are their colleagues and peers perhaps you know there'll be some senior leaders in there there'll be some very junior people in there everyone's in there for the same reason they're interested in um, exploring their relationship with alcohol and potentially doing something to change it. Um, and they get all the resources that they need to do that if they wish to. There is no pressure for them to go sober or, you know, do, do anything other than turn up and listen and chat. Um, so, so it's not as if you're, you're a vegan society trying to stop the meat eaters. Exactly. It's about, it's about giving people um, a different perspective Okay. And for me, I know, you know, when I was growing up, my heroes were people like Zoe Ball and Sarah Cox. Um, you know, I was a proper 90s ladder drinker and all my role models were drinkers. My parents were big drinkers. Um, all my relatives, like my friends, my everyone was a drinker. And yeah. I, I never, ever had any sober role models. And 
I think that's true of a lot of people my age. And I think going into the workplace and being a sober role model and actually sharing stories about um, the journey to deciding to stop drinking in a workplace setting can be so important and inspiring for people. And I get emails on a fairly regular basis saying, I saw one of your talks six months ago, nine months ago, two years ago, and it's only now that I've decided to stop. But I just wanted to say thank you because you were the first person I'd ever come across who um, like, just told their story about um, stopping drinking, you know, and it's so relatable for so many people, but it's it's become quite a taboo subject and people find it very difficult to say, I need some help with my drinking. Yeah, um, I get that. Well, we're seeing more and more sober October, Jan dry, January. Yeah, January yeah. And I, I read the other day something like there's a high percentage of millennials who don't drink. Have I got that yeah. right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, there really are. Um, so there's uh, one of the big factors that affects that is the rise of social media. So oh. there is a real fear amongst younger people of drunk photographs appearing on social media Um, and that has been an important change and you know let's face it if there had been social media when I was that age I don't think I would have had a career Um, (laughs) I think I would have gone out yeah no exactly so um, there's there's that but also you can't get served under 18 anymore you need ID to get served everywhere that certainly wasn't the case when I was that age and young people are much more health conscious um yes. so you know the all i've got teenage daughters and they you know they go climbing and bouldering uh they go to coffee shops they go into town they go shopping they but they never you know i don't stop them drinking they're allowed to drink they just don't, they just choose not to um, they, the, that generation they seem much more aware than we were uh, they're aware yeah. of the planet. They're aware of what they're eating. They're aware of diet. They're drinking water. I don't think I drank water so I was probably thirty-five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They seem much more educated. Know what they want. Yes, I agree. I think they've got their head screwed on better than certainly I did at that age. Feels like it. I've got a list here of questions, so we're going to do a quick fire round if that's all right. They're yeah, questions sure. that people type into Google, um, and they want to get the answer from an expert. Uh, I think okay. you told us you're an expert your journey, why you understand this, and you're trying to do sober, curious society. I love that, sober, curious society. Um, Let's start with, when did the drinking culture start, do you think? Mm, Well, in the UK? um, Yeah. There is one theory which I think really rings true, which is that it's kind of always been there since we started to um, ferment something called small beer um to use as a a a drink because water wasn't safe to drink um and the this very sort of weak fermentation um of it was a very very weak beer was what everybody drank um but it gave almost gave westerners a tolerance to alcohol and what happened in the east um in in asia um the southeast asia in particular was that people um, made tea they made green tea um to make their water safe and that perhaps over the centuries genetically the western world has become um more accustomed to drinking alcohol um, uh, and there is certainly some d- 
differences genetically between um, different nationalities in terms of their actual speed that they process alcohol. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think I think that's kind of the origins of our drinking culture. Interesting. So when you were talking about that, I was thinking about gin was given as a, a, a shot, not shot, but something to kids in Victorian days, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, gin it was... It was like water, wasn't it? Yeah, I think there was a story, um, Mother's Ruin. Um, yes. Gin, gin was kind of called Mother's Ruin because there was... Obviously, there was really, really high rates of infant mortality in impoverished areas, um, in Victorian and pre-Victorian eras. And the grief and bereavement and loss and sorrow that the mothers um, suffered from, they what tended to happen was they made gin, um, homemade gin, to literally drown the sorrows. And, um, yeah, and I, I think it may even have been like encouraged or subsidized at one point um which was i think retrospectively a bit of a scandal given that what it really needed to happen was they needed to uh, make the conditions in the slums better so that they weren't suffering from all these bereavements in the first place but you know yeah second question is which country has the best drinking culture oh um the best as in Mm, by whose standards? <laughs> I think what they're asking is best in terms of positive, maybe low alcohol or no alcohol, or maybe well, the opposite um, to the UK. <laughs> yeah, well, any country that um, is a strict Islamic country would be teetotal. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you've got all of the, yeah, there's a, an awful lot of countries that would fall into that category. Um yeah, I had a great holiday in Morocco, actually, I have to say, where there's just no pressure to drink whatsoever. Just lots and lots of mint tea everywhere. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> and what it says here, what culture has the highest rate of alcoholism? Oh, um, it'll be, it's it's it, kind of Russia and surrounding areas. Um, it's not okay. actually Russia that has the highest rate, um, but it's those kind of, that Eastern Bloc. Yeah. Um, all of the countries around there where they've got very heavy vodka drinking culture, there are some really high numbers. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, we've answered what cultures don't drink. Um, why is drinking so ingrained in our culture? I think you partly answered mm -hmm. that going back to the fermented yeah. beer. Um, hmm. Okay. But the bit I'm particularly interested in is... If I'm a HR manager and I'm listening to this podcast and coming back to Drink Safe Workspace, what can I do to help? So there's a few easy zero cost things that you can do. So um, send an email to the leadership team that you look after and say, before you buy everyone a bottle of wine or champagne for Christmas, have you asked them if they'd prefer a gift that doesn't contain alcohol? Okay. Yep. So that's an easy one. Yeah. Um, as you are planning your works do, um, or any kind of event at work, do some drinks matching of alcohol drinks for non-alcohol alternatives. So if you're oh. serving beer, have no, no alcohol beer available. If you're serving champagne, have a no secco, or I'd go for the Thompson and Scott naughty personally that is the best one uh, but you know there's that there are so many low alcohol 
zero alcohol alternative drinks on the market, there is no excuse for not having them. Okay, and I guess there's this peer pressure of going out on the works to feeling as though I've got to drink, got to be part of the in crowd that you mentioned. Yeah, so I run um, a webinar called um, Sober Shaming in the Workplace, and it's really okay. about supporting people. Um, it, it, it runs through some lived experience stories um, that yep. people have been kind enough to share with me, and they're, they're spoken by um, actors um, where they've suffered um, real peer pressure and what's happened as a result of that and how it's made them feel. Um, and then it offers alternatives. Um, it kind of basically brings everyone up to the same standard of, of saying, look, that's not acceptable on any of our um, workplace events. And instead, if someone says that they're not drinking, you know, this is how to behave. And actually, if somebody has confided in you that they're not going to drink, you know, that might be a buddy to them, how to be a good buddy to someone who's perhaps in recovery and they don't want everyone to know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how to, you know, how to be a good buddy to them, that that type of thing. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that, that HR managers can do, a lot. There's also a really big piece about leading from the top. Yeah. Um, and I specifically really do enjoy actually going in to speak to the senior managers um in the workplace about the culture that they're setting and how their behaviors impact on the entire organization and what um messages they're sending out because that's actually sometimes the only thing that needs to change i just want to explore for a moment um it feels to me there's a parallel between the drinks companies and drink responsibly and the energy companies who want us to buy more but we can, shouldn't buy more um this yeah, drink yeah. responsibly thing, how, when did that start and how does that feature in this? Yeah, so Drink Aware is um, a body that is funded by the alcohol industry. So on the face of it, it appears to be a great place to go to get advice about reducing drinking. It, it isn't. Okay. So um, that's quite a controversial viewpoint. It's funded by the alcohol industry. They will encourage you to continue drinking and moderate. Anybody who's reached the point where they're looking on websites for advice yeah. and help with drinking has already tried to moderate and they haven't been able to moderate. Okay. So it's not the so right advice for those people. It's really in my view, quite dangerous. And actually, I would say specifically that the advice on drink aware kept me stuck for a long time and prevented me from asking for help because I just couldn't understand why I couldn't follow the instructions on it, why it wasn't working for me. Um, and I would really advise anybody who is trying to follow that advice and struggling with it to look elsewhere and go and get some help from somebody who's been there done this got the t-shirt and has actually stopped drinking because you can live your life alcohol free and be happy um drink aware will never tell you that they will never ever tell you that <laughs> and that's the message that you need to hear so it's, it's a bit like um british gas telling you to turn your gas off i suppose yes. they never will exactly it's not it's not my 
I, I would, I, I actively do not recommend it. Okay, and and so you recommend obviously your website. So just tell yeah, us your yeah. website and some other places we can have a look. Yeah, so um, I do recommend Alcohol Change UK. By the way, I think the advice on there is excellent. Um, I actually work um as an associate for Alcohol Change UK as well. So you can book one of my webinars, which is called Sunshine Sobriety through Alcohol Change UK, which is exciting. Nice. Um, and you can visit my um website, which is ChooseSunrise.co.uk. And from there, you can access my program, 101 Days to Sober, um, which is available for individuals or to bring into the workplace. And you can access from there. You can read more about all of the other services that I offer to HR professionals, wellbeing professionals and uh, the workplace in general. All right. So we've talked about what HR managers can do. We've talked about leadership team, what they can do. If I'm an individual, and I've got this question going on. Do I drink too much? Do I not? How do I know when my relationship with alcohol is left rather than right? You know, because um, the question to ask yourself is, am I happy with how much I'm drinking? Okay. So if you're happy with how much yeah. you're drinking, you, 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 then that's that's great. <laughs> carry on um it, it doesn't it's not really about how much you're drinking it's about whether or not you're happy with it um if you are unhappy with the amount you're drinking and that quite often manifests itself as drinking more than you intended to promising yourself you won't drink tonight and then drinking um waking up saying i can't live like this anymore i'm gonna stop i'm gonna make changes and then not being able to stick to the rules you put in place. Yeah. Those for me are the signs that um that we can help you. That makes sense. That makes sense. Certainly for me, some years ago we'd uh not every weekend, but we'd go out go out with friends and then sort of write off Saturday or Sunday and think, really? Is this what yeah. I want to do? So we stopped the binge drinking. Um yeah, I, yeah. in answer to your question, am I happy? Yes, I think I am. I wasn't happy. With yeah. writing off a whole day because I decided the night before I'd just, you know, go for yeah. it. Um, yeah. And and do you know what? That's great because um I do meet a lot of people who used to be heavy drinkers and they decided they were not happy with that and they now are successful moderators. And there is nothing wrong with that. And actually, you know, to be fair to drink aware, that is actually something that's possible for some people. Right. Now, okay. There are a lot of people out there and you know who you are who don't have an off switch and they try and moderate and they just can't because it's all or yeah. nothing you know yeah. i can't eat one biscuit either you know it has to be you know a good six i'd say um <laughs> there's some people don't have an off switch and yeah. and if that's you trying to moderate an addictive substance is just going to be exhausting um open your mind to the possibility that you might be happier without any and I know you don't believe me right now <laughs> but I always say to clients at the start of the program you know the 101 days to sober it starts before you stop drinking the first six modules are all about preparing to stop okay. um, then right. you stop for 101 days and the last six modules are about what's next and whether you decide to go back to drinking or not is entirely your choice so it's really more like a six-month program with the 101 alcohol-free days in the middle of it and potentially cont continuing on from that should you choose to. 
Um, and what I do find is a lot of people, they do the 101 days, they go back to drinking and then they go, I don't like it. I don't, I don't, I don't actually like it anymore. It's not worth it. What it's giving me yeah. isn't worth what it's taking away from me. Yeah. Now that I've had that taste of getting up on a Saturday morning and going for a run and feeling fresh every day and being clear headed, I've got, I've tried going back to it and I'm just don't want to anymore. And they genuinely don't want to drink anymore. And it's brilliant. That's, that's what we're looking for, really. I like that because you're, you're sort of giving them the opportunity to then decide which yes. is great. You're not yeah, saying, rah, rah, we'll all be sober. What you are saying is, try this, see yeah. what you think. Yeah. Look at where you get in the plus column, the minus column, and figure out the way forward. Exactly, right. yeah. It's all, all about right. choice. All, all right. about choice, yeah. And my last question for you is the title of the podcast is The Elephant in the Wellbeing Room. Why did you choose that as the title? I think I know. Yeah, I believe very strongly and firmly that alcohol underpins every single pillar of well-being no matter which model you look at if you think about physical health mental health um, financial health your relationships with other people spirituality all of the classic aspects of well-being are impacted by your relationship with alcohol if you are drinking more than you're happy with all of those other well-being um you know cornerstones if you like they will be out of kilter and it can be very difficult for somebody to get to grips with feeling good overall yep. if they're in that place with alcohol and yet there are i could count on one hand the number of employers who i think have got this right <laughs> and have got really got right. brilliant um provision in the workplace for this the, the, there's a real tendency for employers to see this as something that the employee assistance program will do um i used the employee assistance program at the place that i worked and it was it was a brilliant employee assistance program very well funded um had been used successfully for lots of other things for people in my team and for me and all they really offered was an online kind of quiz course thing, which wasn't much help and told me to moderate, which I already knew. Signposted me to AA. Um, I have private healthcare insurance as well with um, the job that I was doing then. And I dialed into that. Um, I was told that um, rehab was a, an exemption. I was like, I don't need to go to rehab. I just want... I'd found a, an alcohol-specific counsellor who I wanted to go and see, and they said, no, it's classed as rehab. Um, you can't see that counsellor. You can see a general counsellor. So I went to see a general counsellor yeah. who in the first session told me that she drinks far more than I do and not to worry. Um, so <laughs> I ended up just... Brilliant. I know. And this, this, you know, the comp they think that they've got it covered and they just haven't um, because you need specialist help it's it's not something that i would never ever advocate getting help from a drinker with drinking yeah, yeah. they're not going to be able to help you okay you no. need to go to someone who has stopped drinking and knows what it's like and that's specialist and you may very well find if you're an hr professional go and check what the exclusion clauses are on your private healthcare insurance go and actually check what the employee assistance program offers um walk through it as if you're someone who's worried about their drinking you might be surprised how rubbish it actually is 
So I self-funded my therapy and counselling in the end, and it's the best decision I've ever made, best money I've ever spent. As you said, if you want to go and ask someone, it needs to be someone who's got the T-shirt. It really does. You need, um, <laughs> or someone once described it, you need to go and speak to an old lush. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. All right. I've got one more question for you before we close. If we wind forward 10 years and we've got a workplace that is doing this well, would you describe it, how they're doing it, what's happening, how it's different? Probably yeah, too many sure. questions there. Um, so <clears throat> the culture would be very inclusive. And what I mean by that is everybody would make, be made to feel welcome at all workplace events. Some of the workplace events would have alcohol at them and some would not. Um, and drinking the alcohol would be very much optional. Um, there would yeah. be um, services for HR managers and well-being professionals in that workplace to help them understand what the needs are of somebody who's in recovery. There would be the right policies and processes in place to deal with issues as they arise. And those policies and processes would be compassionate confidential measures that could be taken to support somebody um as well as obviously protecting the employer um there would be services for the whole organization um which would showcase sobriety in a positive light um and give people sober role models so they could see that there is an alternative to having a heavy drinking lifestyle um there would be a peer support group uh, sober curious society type um, setup in the workplace where people could come together to chat and support each other through resetting their relationship with alcohol and there'd be access to services for individuals so that they could um, get individual counseling and support if that's what they needed um, and then the final piece would be um, training for line managers on how to have those difficult conversations um, and that's obviously broader than alcohol. It, it It's something that all line managers need is the skills to be able to pick up and listen, um, to be able to talk about taboo topics um, with confidence um, and to to avoid the what are we going to do about Dave culture, as I call it. Yeah where everyone knows there's a problem and nobody knows what to do about Absolutely. it and it gets kicked down the road. It's it's the kind of the opposite of that. And if I'm a leader and I'm thinking about the workplace culture, I'm running a business, profits uh, are essential, shareholder wealth. Why should I? What's in it for me? The absence, uh, absence rates, there's a, probably about three to five percent of all absence is alcohol related in the UK oh, workplace okay. um so around 20 percent of people in a survey in i think it was 2018 um said that they'd had um a hangover at work in the past month um of which around 15 percent of those people admitted that they'd gone home as early as possible and done the least amount of work possible on that day in the last month okay so there's a fair amount of productivity yeah. and absence um gains to be made um there's also a piece around attracting the right talent and retaining the right talent as our workforce becomes more and more diverse um remember what we said about millennials um not drinking you know people 
I think employers are at risk of getting left behind on the changes that are, yeah. that are happening already in society and the attitudes to alcohol. And if they don't reflect those changing attitudes in the workplace culture, they're only going to attract an older, less diverse, um, white, <laughs> uh, sort of middle-aged workforce, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I feel like there's more. Uh, oh, there's risk as well. So um, if you think about the risk of workplace accidents and incidents, um, alcohol is a major factor in all workplace accidents. Not sorry, it's not. In, it's something like there is I read a statistic about this the other day, but it's something like 30 or 40 percent of all workplace accidents. It, alcohol is a factor in them it's it's huge wow, um, i know it's really big isn't it and then you've got grievances as well and the cost of that so you know any <clears throat> hr manager out there knows that the busiest day of the year is the day after the work's christmas do when a had a fist fight with b and <laughs> c threw a chair yeah. through a window and <laughs> i don't know there's like gee there's kind of there's all sorts of grievances that happen. Sometimes there's damages to pay to venues and all that kind of thing. Um, the, the, it can be quite expensive. So, yeah, that's quite a few reasons. <laughs> that's a lot of reasons. That's good. That's good. All right. We're going to bring our podcast to a close. Is there any final takeaway you'd like to share with HR managers, particularly leading, uh, particularly listening and leaders of business? What would you like to share? I would just like to share one final piece, which is that um, as somebody who has um, been in a very dark relationship with alcohol, I was absolutely terrified of being labelled an alcoholic. I was absolutely terrified of telling anybody that I was going to stop drinking. I was really scared and really, really lonely. And I guarantee you that if you've got any reasonable sized organization, someone in your workforce is feeling like that right now. Yeah, and yeah. you, the question I would ask myself is how would I know and what support would they have? Question. Well, on that question, we're going to wrap up. <laughs> Janet, thank you very much. Thank Just you. a reminder of your website where these guys can go get help, resources, maybe talk to you a bit more. Yeah, so it's Choose Sunrise, C-H-O-O-S-E, Sunrise, choosesunrise.co.uk. Okay, thank you. And we've been talking about the drinking culture, and the title of our episode has been The Elephant in the Wellbeing Room. A big thank you to you, Janet. Thank you to Choose Sunrise, and we wish you well. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Thank you.